is everybody? Good. Good to see you today. So thankful that you made it through the drizzle to uh, church. Good work. Great job. I'm so thankful. Uh, what about um, what about your week was good? This is what I want you to do. Tell the person next to you, what about your week was good? One good thing. Just one good thing. Come on. One good thing. And that's weird. I feel like that's more than one. That's good. Carry on. All right, that's good. Some good things happening, apparently, so that's good to hear. I'm grateful. Sometimes we really need to pay attention to the God moments, the things that God is doing around us, because it's very easy to get our heads in a rut. I would, I would call it a rut, where we just look, kind of look at the negative and we criticize and we think about the difficulty. Sometimes it's really important, in fact, I'd say every day, really important to remember what God's doing around us, the good things. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture today, John chapter 13, we'll be in uh, verses 1 to 17 this morning. We've been in this uh, series in the Gospel of John uh, leading up to Easter, and, and I'll just say it again, even though it, it may feel kind of late to you, if you don't know about it, we have a reading plan that you can read through the Gospel of John, and if you're like, well, it, the reading plan ends uh, April 15th, and it's really like March 20-something, I don't even know what day it is anymore, but uh, I'm behind. You're not behind. You could read John, the book of John, like tonight if you wanted to. And so jump in there because we're not able to hit every verse in the book of John, not even every chapter in the book of John leading up to Easter. But today we're in John 13. So John 13, chapter 1 to 17, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to look at this important, important sort of preparation episode that we see here as Jesus prepares his disciples for uh, what's to come. So John 13, 1 to 17. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put out on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to, said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you keep them. You could be seated. <clears throat> so what would you do if you knew you had like a week to live? What would you do? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question exactly. As I, I thought about it, I thought, I, I don't know. Like I went from very superficial things, like I would eat a lot of Oreos, cookies, and cream. Ice cream, a lot of it, to uh, I would gather my family and I would save the things, you know, that I, I ha, that last 10%, those things that, that I haven't said or that I would want to say if I knew I was, if I was exiting in, in, within a week. And I mean, your, your thoughts are probably all, all over the map from superficial to serious, just like mine. But what we see Jesus doing in the last sort of week or so of his life is preparing his disciples for his ascension, for his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension, where he will leave them to the mission that he's discipled them for. And we get a preparation lesson today that I think is really important uh, for us to understand, first of all, in, in thinking about who Jesus is, but also thinking about how we should operate. So if you go to John chapter 13, verse 1, I'll just, I'll just read that again because there's a part that, that is so important. We get a lot here. It says, now, before the feast of the Passover, which tells us when this is happening, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, it's that he loved them to the end part that is astounding to me. It's like he didn't, he knew he had a week left, and he did not stop loving them. He leaned into it. He, he loved them to the end. And the thing that, that we see play out here is that in loving him, them to the end, even to the point of death, death on a cross, what he does now is prepare them for being away from him and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we get this foot washing episode. Anybody ever ha heard of uh, foot washing Baptist? Anyone? Come on. Like back in the day, maybe there's some here in this room. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but there, there was a whole subsect of a denomination called the foot washing Baptist because they took this passage and like Jesus did it. So we're going to do it, right? And, that, and, and that's maybe perhaps one, one option. But I want to look at what he's actually teaching us this morning. So let's look at the setting. So it's Passover. And when we begin to think about Passover, we, we think about the city of Jerusalem. We think about that is an indicator of this is the, the last part of Jesus' life leading up to his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. We think of the population of Jerusalem swelling. We think of, you know, people, the Jewish people have selected a lamb for their home. They're bringing it to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to they're gonna sacrifice that lamb. 
for atonement. All of this is in the minds of the people. Uh, it's in the minds of the priesthood, the high priest. And this is uh, the, the last supper or the, the Passover meal that uh, Jesus and his disciples take before um, this crucifixion. And I, I don't know what you envision when you envision that last supper, but probably the best, uh, best way I could d- describe it is um, if, if you could imagine yourself sitting at a low table, it was actually called a triclinium, it, it was like, it's like you set up three eight-foot tables, one in the middle, and then one here, and one here, and they sat on the outside of it like this, and they reclined to their left because you eat with your right your right hand, and so they're all kind of leaning to the left on, on this arm, probably sitting on some kind of cushions, and, uh, and eating, dipping their bread. They're not, they're not fork and knife people. They're bread and let's grab it and eat it people, and that's what they're, uh, that's what they're doing. And so uh, this, is, this is what's going on when we see this passage uh, kind of come to fruition, and normally... <clears throat> there would be some sort of attendant servant that if there's going to be any kind of like washing of the feet and service and all those kinds of things, that, that person would do that. And that was reserved for someone very low in the class system or for a woman low in the class system. Uh, that In that day, that time frame, that's who would be uh, washing feet. And normally that person would be ignored. I mean, the conversation would continue on. They would be eating. Their feet are kind of behind them in the way that they're reclining. That person would just be coming along behind them and washing their feet, completely ignored. Uh, but Jesus, in this case, is not ignorable, so much so that, that Peter voices uh, shock. John 13, verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. He said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Uh, and 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 he it, he's appalled. Like you can't you can't do this. This is this is not something because you're the Lord and the Master, and I'm 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 the 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 Talmud, the disciple. I, I'm lower than you. If anybody's going to wash feet, it should be me washing your feet, not you washing uh, my feet. There's also a code in that culture called the honor shame code. I don't know if you know about that very much, but it, 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 is, it is as strong as hospitality is in that culture, honor and shame is a big deal in that culture, so much so that someone, a greater party, would not wash a lesser party's feet. That would be dishonorable, and it would be shameful in both directions. Both people would feel that, the lesser party and the greater party. It just, it just wouldn't happen, and this is why they push against it. And I think it's interesting that in this preparation, Jesus is a demonstrator, right? He's not just telling them you should wash people's feet, you should be humble, you should be a, a servant, but he, he actually takes off his outer garment, he takes up a towel, and he lowers himself uh, to, to wash their, their feet. Um, it's completely countercultural. And what I would say is that the king Jesus is countercultural always, and thus the kingdom is countercultural. It's against the grain of the culture. The kingdom has its own culture because the king does things his way. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul was speaking of this about Jesus, and he said, but Jesus emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this is just the reiteration of the fact that the second person of the Godhead, the Son, left at the Father's side, strapped on the skin of an infant, born in a shepherd's cave, walked the planet sinlessly, and then found himself washing disciples' feet because he loved them to the end. He was uh, the epitome of a humble servant. I think it's interesting that John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 27, he encountered Jesus, and Jesus wanted him to baptize him. And John said, even he who comes after me, speaking of Jesus, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I mean, this lowly act of untying the sandal, he was saying, that, that's as low as you get, but I'm not worthy to do that. And what we find is Jesus going beyond untying the sandal to washing the feet of these disciples. It's hard for us to understand this in our culture, but in an honor-shame culture, this just never, ever happens. It's the writer of the New American Commentary, and I just would quote, who says, I know of no other example in literature of the ancient world before the coming of Jesus where such a foot washing by a leader occurs. It's not there. If you scour and search ancient literature, you don't see another leader washing his servant's feet. It only happens after Jesus does it once. Now, it's a really, really, really big deal. All of this demonstration, all of this was preparation by the Messiah who loved his disciples. He was keenly aware that he would be crucified, buried, raised, and ascended. He's going to leave them empowered by the Spirit to the mission of the world. And with all that in mind, one of the big last lessons is love is exercised in humility and, and service. Love is exercised in humility and service. I mean, you'd think oh, he would teach them lots of different things. You're like, here's how you deal with a Roman, and here's how you deal with someone who doesn't believe, and, all, and he, 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 he's leaned into the, some of those things, but when it comes to the last week, one of the biggest things that he wants them to know is like, they are going to know your love because you exercise it in humility and service. I want to show you a couple pictures. Uh, several years ago, it was actually 2019, right before the pandemic, we had the opportunity to take a team to Lebanon northern Lebanon, and we were working with uh, Syrian refugees, uh, Muslims who came into Lebanon because of the Syrian crisis, and they're just in, in dire, dire straits. And we took their kids to uh, camp. It's the weirdest thing in the world. They want the, they're like every parent. They want the best for their kids, and their kids have had nothing. And we showed up and said, hey, we're going to take them to camp for a week. And they don't, they're not signing permission slips. They're just like, get on the bus, kid go. Uh, maybe they need a break. Maybe they're tired like every parent in the world. Maybe they just want their kids to laugh and have fun. And we, uh, we, didn't, we told them we're Christians and this is what we're about. And we spent the week with those kids. We loved them. We shared the gospel with them. We listened to them, um, served them. But at the, at the end of the week, the highlight of the week was um, our team and, and, and our, our Lebanese counterparts we taught this lesson, this John 13 lesson, and then we, we lined these kids up and we washed their feet. 
Syrian Muslim kids. These kids, at first, they had the same reaction as Peter because of honor shame. There's no way you can't wash my feet. Don't touch my feet. You can't do this. They're too, too dirty. I'm too small. You're too good. All those kinds of things. And we said, no, 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 no. We're the same. We're the same. We're created in the image of God. We're in need of Jesus, in need of a Savior. And we began to wash their feet. Some of them laughed because nobody had ever touched their feet. They were ticklish and they were laughing so hard. Others were weeping because they can't believe what's happening here. This is American Christians are washing our feet. What is this? And I promise that they'll, they'll remember a lot of things about that camp, I'm sure. But this one, they won't forget. They will not forget. And I, and I promise you, I cannot forget it. It is burned in my heart. Why? Because this is how Jesus loves. This is how he loves. It's completely counterculture. And he says, as the king, love by lowering yourself. Love by humbling yourself. Love by offering service that nobody else offers. We're never better than. Now, the back half of John chapter 13, verse 14 to 17 is really what I want to look at in, in this moment. I just make this observation that humility is not just a nice idea for a disciple of Jesus. It's not just a, on a good day, I'll be humble. It's not just a nice idea, but it is the way that Jesus calls us to walk. Look, John 13, 14 to 17, it says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I've done this to you. I've shown you. I've demonstrated, which is what rabbinic discipleship is all about. You just don't fill in a blank. You show by doing. This is how we do it. This is how we live. He's done that, and he's saying, like, this is the way, this is precisely the way we live because this is how your master lives. This is how your king lives. He came to be a servant, uh, and he teaches them uh, that. I've often wondered, because it's unique in the book of John, that we have this foot-washing passage. You don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's just in John. And I, I've often wondered, like, why? Why did the other guys not, like, chime in, like, that foot-washing thing was amazing. It's just not even there. They're fo so focused on Judas. And John is focused on Judas here, too. I'm just not talking about that so much. But John brings in this foot-washing thing. And I, I've often wondered why. And I, I, it hit me this week, it, it's perhaps, perhaps because it's in such stark contrast to his driving ambition to be first. And I, I want you to hear this passage out of Mark. Mark did bring this up. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and you'll see why. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, 34 and 35. And James and John... The sons of Zebedee came up to him, meaning Jesus, and said to him, teacher, won't you do for, for us whatever we ask of you? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? 
And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? That cup that he drinks, he's talking about the cross. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism that which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. They have no idea. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. Ultimately, they will be, they will be martyred. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So when they, the ten heard it, they began to be indignant. This is why Mark wrote it down. They began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to, to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think this is why John records it in John. Because he was in the Gospel of John, because he was so convicted. This is how, again, this is how rabbinic discipleship works. He teaches John a lesson. John's like, just ask, can I sit at your right hand in your glory? I mean, we're close. We're walking together. I should, I should get to do that. What about all these other guys? No, it's just me and James. And Jesus teaches them, like, on that walk. Hey, I didn't come for any other reason to serve. And you should be about that. It's not my, not my deal to put you at the right or the left. You're going to suffer. Serve through it. You know? And he teaches them that. And then we get to the upper room later. And, and, and we get this foot washing episode. And I imagine as John is watching Jesus come around and when it's coming to John's place, all he can think about is this Mark conversation. That I asked to be first. And Jesus is saying, even uh, you must be last. And he's demonstrating. I can imagine it moved him completely. I, I bet it's one of the biggest, biggest lessons of his life. You know? And he records it here. And, and, and does anybody, does anybody... Relate to John with a driving ambition to be first? I do. I do. I was at Pine Cove Forge like two weeks ago with like 21-year-olds teaching them. They got back from Israel and they were debriefing. And, um, and so I was just walking them through that for two days. And they do phys physical training at the like 6.45 in the morning, I was like, I'll be there for that. And they were like, oh, man. And I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm coming. And uh, I got there in the trainer. We were talking, the trainer, we was doing this workout, and it wasn't too bad. And then we got to this one part, and it had like 50 burpees in a period of time. And uh, before we did it, he walked over to me, because I'm the only gray hair in the room. He's like, are you going to be okay? <laughs> and I was like, I'll be fine. 
And then I was determined to win <laughs> because I want to be first. It's a funny little thing, right? But, but we do have this driving ambition to be first. It's ingrained in us, um, in our culture. Um, the way that you kind of win in our world is that you outperform everyone else. That's the goal. You, uh, you seek to be first. You seek to be the best, the strongest, the richest, the leader, kind of the special. Anybody ever seen the Lego movie? That one, you know, unique Lego? Jihad. <clears throat> That's our culture, though, right? That's why we have our kids in the schools we have them in and... and and, and why we drive them to, to be a part of the sports programs that we want them to be in is because we want them to be the best at whatever they can be. And I'm not saying make the most. Don't make the most of, of what God's given you. Be a good steward with your intellect, with your physicality, with your emotion. Uh, accomplish all the things that God has for you to accomplish. But what we learn in John chapter 13, in the kingdom, the way to glory is sacrifice, service, and suffering. In the kingdom, the way to glory is sacrifice, service, and suffering. In the kingdom, exaltation involves lowliness. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It is ultimately about humility and sacrifice. And I just think it's, it's profound that Jesus thought, I must teach this in the last week of my life because this is going to be very, very important. One of the, the last things. I think about that a lot. Um, about humility and sacrifice. And I think that our world really needs to understand Christianity and who Jesus is through the lens of humility and sacrifice on the, on, on the part of, of Jesus' disciples. The men and women, the boys and girls that follow Jesus have to be the ones that demonstrate in the world humility and sacrifice. And you can be very poor or very rich or very strong or very weak or, or very successful in the, worldly, uh, in the world's eyes or very unsuccessful in the world's eyes. It, it, it really doesn't matter from a worldly perspective. What matters is that we're close to Jesus and that we walk the way that he walked, no matter what we have or what we don't have, right? No matter if I'm the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. It's important that we walk in humility and sacrifice. It is actually, my anecdotal observation, it is actually humility and service in our world today that draws people to Jesus. They don't think of Christians as humble servants out there. And we need to exercise humility and service and simply walk the way that Jesus walks. So the, the question becomes, like, how can we become the foot washers of the world? 
Well, I can tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to become a foot-washing Baptist church and have bowls every, every Sunday and wash people's feet. You have to take this and apply this to the culture that you live in. So what would we do? How would we live this out? Well, maybe three things to consider. Humility is formed in deep understanding of personal sin and the grace afforded through Jesus. You have, you must remember, you must remember that you are a sinner saved by grace, bar none. Like there is not one of us better than the other. We are all sinners in need of a savior. Every person in the world is in that category. You've been saved. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for some long period of time and you know the, the religious talk and you know how to be in church and what to say and what not to say and all those things, but, but that's not humility. That's, that's religiosity. Humility is counterculture, cultural. Service is countercultural. To lower myself below others is countercultural, and that's formed in a deep understanding of personal sin. It, it comes from this. This is how, how we have it in the world. Simply this, that we understand we have sinned and that Jesus who never sinned died on a cross to save us from our sin. And that way, not only did he wash our feet, but he washed our whole self. He made us new. He made us righteous. He transformed us. I did nothing to deserve that. And humility is, is born in understanding that you were loved and transformed when you did nothing to deserve it. That's ultimately humbling. In fact, the first thing that you have to do to come to Christ, to believe, is to confess with your mouth that he is Lord, which is an act of humility. You're saying, I'm not Lord. You are. You know? And so... We have to understand humility is formed in a deep understanding of personal sin and grace. Reconnect with that. Secondly, humility gives birth to service and sacrifice for others because of love. It gives birth to service and sacrifice to others because of love. So let's just unpack for a moment uh, in concentric circles how we serve and how we sacrifice. Think about uh, your, maybe if you're married, your marriage relationship. How are you sacrificial and servant-hearted in that marriage relationship? Think about in the context of your family. How do you sacrifice? How do you serve in humility in the context of your family? Think about your school, your classroom. How are you exercising humility and being sacrificial in the context of your peers, your stu the, the students you, you're in class with, the, the faculty, the staff that that uh, serves you each day. How, how are you doing that? How about your workplace? You're just clocking in, punching in, getting the job done? Or would people like look at you and say like, that guy or that gal, like she has served me in these ways or he has served me in those ways. Like how are you lowering it? Even if you're the CEO, you're the boss, like how are you, how are you serving and humbling yourself in light 
of the situation. Humility gives birth to service and sacrifice. I would say a relationship with Jesus gives birth to humility, which gives birth to service and sacrifice. The third thing I think we should think about is humility is counting others more significant than ourselves. Humility is counting others more significant than ourselves. Again, this is completely countercultural where, where we're living. It's not 21st century American thought to count others uh, more significant than yourself. But the writer of Philippians wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you got to go back to your own life when you think about this, and you, you, ha- you have to ask yourself the question, like, how am I looking to the interests of others? Is this really all about me? Or how am I looking to the interests of others? How am I sacrificing for others? How am I investing for others? How am I using the, the thoughts of my mind, the words of my mouth, the, the work of my hand, the direction of my feet for others? You know, what would it be in our culture if you go back to that foot washing moment in first century Jerusalem where John is just astounded, Peter is appalled that Jesus is, is, is bowing, is lowering himself so much as to wash their feet. What would it be in our culture, in your workplace, in, in your school, in your family where where people would feel the service and love and humility of Jesus with that that profound kind of impact, what would it be? And the challenge for us, it was for the disciples, they would actually live this out. They were, Jesus was a really good disciple maker. He, he, his disciples looked like him unto death once they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They looked like him unto death. When he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, they did. They did. So what about us? What about you and, and me? It's, it's not just for that original band of followers, but it's, it's for all of us who, 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 who call Jesus Lord. So this is the call. If you're a follower of Jesus, become a great servant to others. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Lord knows we have a lot of opportunity to humble ourselves, a lot of opportunity to sacrifice, a lot of opportunity to serve. And so it costs. It costs time. It costs money. But it's worth it because it's the way Jesus walked. And we're his representatives. We are his messengers. We are his students walking the planet, right? And this is how we walk. Would you, uh, would you bow your head and close your eyes and just consider these things? Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you.
Father, we are a people uh, who naturally struggle with pride and ambition. It's typically our desire to be first from childhood, to go first, to be first in line. But your way is different. And you demonstrate that for us in John chapter 13. And so, Lord, you have, um, for many of us, we've confessed you as Lord. You've sealed us with your spirit. You've come into our lives. We say we're surrendered to you, but, Lord, sometimes we struggle with humility. Sometimes we struggle with service and sacrifice. And so, God, would you take um, every part of us and use us for your glory? everything that we have and use it for your glory. Lord, make us humble. Help us to learn it like the disciples learned it. And help us to follow your demonstration in the world today with our neighbors, with our friends, our coworkers, our peers, our parents, our husbands, our wives, our kids. God, help us to be foot-washing people people who, uh, who recognize what, you, what great work you have done in our lives, what love you have shown us, and how you have served us, and simply desire to serve others because, because of that. Thanks for this lesson. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit, which speaks to people a million different ways and all in one teaching. God, I pray that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see all the things that you've, you've said to them today. We love you so much and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.